today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcanta. So here's my question. Are you enjoying the blood-bought benefits of being in Christ this morning? Do you see the, the wonderful life of being Spirit-filled, this life of being like Christ, full of the Spirit continually, and is that attractive to you? Do you see that there maybe, maybe are so many more benefits to being in Christ than you thought? You're used to thinking, hey, we're justified. Hey, we're, we're not going to hell. Praise God. But there's more on your benefits card, Christian. Hoping God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hoping God, He's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. As Pastor Ricky continues teaching on the benefits of being in Christ, he will be emphasizing the importance of being filled with the Spirit. Paul exhorts all believers to understand what the will of the Lord is, and that it's to be filled continually with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have peace and joy in your life. The benefit of receiving the filling of the Holy Spirit not only gives you peace and joy, but He empowers you to live a victorious Christian life. Ask the Father for a fresh filling today. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, for our continuing study entitled, Holiness in Christ. This command, actually, to be filled with the Spirit is the culmination, in many ways, of redemptive history. It is the, one of the reasons for which Christ died. He died to remove this barrier, not just so that, okay, well, now kind of on a legal level, we, we and God, we're okay, okay, we're good us and God. No, the Spirit's work then is to take what's true legally and bring us together so that God is actually dwelling in our hearts by faith and dwelling in the church. Now, that's amazing. It's amazing that Paul actually says that one of the benefits of being in Christ is that we're brought into this Spirit-filled life. Now, the question then is, what does a Spirit-filled life look like? Well, The short answer is it looks like Jesus' life. See, the the Spirit's work is to bring us into the life of Jesus, the life of Christ. And in the Old Testament, there were these wonderful promises that one day God's people would be filled with the Spirit. But in the Old Testament, what what does that look like? Well, it's a person here, a person there. The, The Spirit comes on this person to enable them to do something. The Spirit comes on this person to anoint them to do something. But it's it's sporadic. But there's there are promises and prophecies that one day that the Spirit's work is just going to wash over the people of God. That, that everybody from young men to old men would be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus arrives, and what we see in Jesus is the picture and the model of all of the prophecies that's, that have been leading up to this. And uh, there's some verses on the screen I'm going to work through, but I'm just going to, I just want to show you something because I think that many Christians just assume that Jesus in his life on earth, he was fully God and fully man, and he just sort of did it. He just sort of obeyed. He just sort of uh, put away sin. And they forget that Jesus' life was a life filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. So when we're called to be filled with the Spirit, we're called actually to the life that Jesus lived when he was here. And so look at this, just a few examples in the life of Jesus, of his relationship to the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit for life and mission. In Luke 3.22, when the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So the Spirit empowers Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus was filled and led by the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus begins his public teaching ministry empowered by the Spirit. Look at Luke 4, 14 to 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. Look at Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel in word and deed. He stands up in Luke 4 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he's quoting Isaiah 61 and saying, This is me. I am empowered by the Spirit to do these things. Jesus also worshiped under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, 21 says, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So here's the point I want you to see. Jesus lived his life full of the Holy Spirit, that he was... As our model, a man dependent on the Spirit and living life in the Spirit, and he, above all, obeyed this command to be full of the Spirit continually. And this was possible because there was no separation between him and the Spirit, no sin, no, no wrongdoing. And yet, for us, we should never experience that life, right? This should be something that Jesus experienced because there was nothing separating him from God that the Spirit could work through him because you know, there was no sin, no separation, no, no wrongdoing in any. But us, we should never be able to experience the life of the Spirit because on a day-to-day basis, our sin would separate us from God. Our, our body of sin would separate him from God. There's no way that God could dwell in us fully because he has to stand apart from us because of our sin. Well, what Jesus did on the cross is he went to the cross, he suffered and died, he was cast out, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that the separation could be removed, so that the gap could be closed and so that we could be filled with the Spirit. And he tells his disciples he's not gonna leave them as orphans, but he's gonna send the Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So here's what I want you to see, okay? I know that was a little theological. The rest of this is gonna be more practical, but here's what I want you to see. This is really, really important. If we are in Christ, we're brought into the Spirit-filled life of Christ, so that this has kind of an encouraging and a challenging side to it, okay? Encouraging side, it's amazing that we're brought into Jesus' life and his relationship with the Spirit. It's amazing that we get to relate to the Spirit the way Jesus did. Not the way that Old Testament believers did where every once in a while somebody would be filled, somebody would be filled. No, we're brought in together as a church into the life of the Spirit. That's ridiculous. We don't deserve that. We didn't earn that, and that's grace. But there's a challenge to it, which is this, that if Jesus lived his life dependent on the Spirit, what makes us think that we can do it by ourselves? See, this command to be filled continually by the Spirit is given to people that need the Spirit. 
Paul is telling us to be filled for our own good because Paul, I'm sure, is thinking, look, unless you're more spiritual than Jesus and Jesus lived his life full of the Holy Spirit, then, well, if you're more spiritual than Jesus, then just don't worry about it. You're good. Anybody else? Yeah, you're going to need this, (laughs) which is why he commands us to do it. So second question is this, how can I obey the command to be filled with the Spirit? Now, This is very practical from here on out, and I hope this is helpful. I'm just trying to make this as simple as possible. But before I do that, I just have to make one qualification because I know that the the nerds, which we love here, that we love the theology nerds, they're going to ask the question, but wait a minute, doesn't the Bible speak of two different types of filling in the New Testament? And I would say, yes, sir, you are correct. Um, Dr. Sam Storm said that there's sort of two different types of filling in the New Testament. Uh, There are texts which describe people as being full of the Spirit as if it were a condition or a consistent quality of, of the Christian. And then there are texts which describe people as being filled with the Spirit for a specific uh, task or service or ministry. Okay? So they're filled with the Spirit in order to, to prophesy or to preach the Bible or to write Scripture or something. That's a second, more particular, empowering for a specific task. But the New, the New Testament also speaks of this general, continuous filling. And so that's the first one. That's what we're talking about, okay? We're talking about the general, continuous filling of the Spirit. Now, all of these commands, all of these ways that we apply the command to be filled with the Spirit, you have to remember are dependent actions. Um, if you have or know a little, a child, right, a toddler or something, um, many times kids are convinced, especially when they're learning to walk, that they can do it by themselves and that they can get all the way across the room by themselves. But what you know as a parent is unless they hold your hand, unless they hold on to you, unless they hold on to a table, they're not going to get that far, right? <laughs> they, I mean, they, I remember look at the look in my son's face as he's learning to walk and he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go over there and touch that thing. And he, and I, you know, I put my hand out. Come on, Bubba, let me help you. And he goes, huh, you know? And of course, the guy's walking like a drunken sailor. And, and, and of course, the, my, my little guy's case, he, he weighs like a half ton. And so any leaning just keeps going and boom, he's down. And the only way he really made progress is first holding my hand, holding a table, learning to be dependent in order to get across the room. Well, in the same way, these are, these are areas where we're tempted to go, Lord, I don't need your help. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I, I need to help you. So they're all dependent actions. And the first one is this. How do you obey the command? You pray for the Spirit's work. It's amazing that in the book of Ephesians, Just the letter, just the short letter, Paul prays three times for the Spirit to work in his hearers, okay? This would be like me preaching a sermon and three times in the middle of the sermon stopping just right here and saying, Lord Jesus, would you send your Spirit to just help these people to get this? Would you send your Spirit to help open their eyes to what you're doing and what you're speaking through your word? That's That that was... If you, I'm sure if you heard a sermon by Paul, there would be a sides where he is, like in his letters, preaching and then pausing, Lord, help us. Send your spirit to work in us and then continuing. That's what the book of Ephesians is like. So here's the question. Are, are you praying for the spirit's work the way Paul does? 
Is it a continual asking for the Spirit's help throughout the day? You know, when, when Jen and I, my wife and I, were, were dating, we were dating long distance. She lived in Maryland and I lived over here and we were both, we both had the kind of jobs where we were on our computers all the time. And because of that, we love to just chat throughout the day, you know, like Google chat or whatever. Um, and so we would just chat back and forth. She'd come back from lunch. I'd ask how lunch was. And, and especially as we got closer and we were engaged and we couldn't wait to be married, we just chatted throughout the day. How was this thing? Oh, this happened. This was hard. Oh, this happened. This was great. Um, and we would share our life. Even though we weren't together physically, we would just share life. And if you've ever, um, maybe you dated your spouse long distance, you know what I'm talking about. There's this desire to just keep an open conversation going at all times. And I believe that's what Paul is encouraging us. That's what Paul's modeling for us. He's not just not a moment in the morning where we kind of bow when we get our prayer of Jabez prayer shawl out and we put a rug down and, and we, we address the Lord. Oh, heavenly father, creator of heaven and maker of all things, I beseech thee, you know, like send thine spirit that I might be thine empowered for thy service today. And, and then we'd make the prayer and it's very formal and then we just move on. No, that's not what, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying pray continually. You need the, how often do you need the spirit throughout your day? All the time. So get and pray that often. However often you need the Spirit, pray that often. That's what Paul is modeling. So we're to pray continually for the Spirit's work. Second, we're to lean into the Spirit's work. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, uh, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So what's interesting is he says the Spirit has created unity and he urges them to maintain what the Spirit has done. So what, what I mean by saying lean in, I mean to say that the Spirit, because, it, because he is in your heart working, is doing things in your heart and you're to be eager to partner and be part of what the Spirit is doing. So it means when you are normally tempted to get angry at your coworkers and you've been praying, Lord, help me not to send your spirit to give me patience and, and you're tempted to get angry and there's that small check in your spirit, like, I shouldn't get angry. That's the spirit creating that desire in you. So what's your response? Well, lean into that. Go, okay, good. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. And, and you put effort into doing what the Spirit is already supernaturally creating in your heart. So the Spirit is creating new desires in you. So you follow them. The Spirit is doing things and you want to lean into that practically. Third, you want to run from sin, run away from sin. Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And other passages, there's talk about resisting the Holy Spirit. And there's an aspect where the Holy Spirit has filled us, but by choosing sin, we grieve the Spirit. We hinder the Spirit's work. Now, our sin, if you're a Christian, doesn't eternally separate you from the work of the Spirit, but it hinders His work. So in that moment where you are tempted to be angry, but you're not, if you in that moment knowingly understand, oh man, the Spirit's doing something, but you just think, man, this guy is such a jerk. And so you give yourself over to sin, the Holy Spirit's grieved because the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart and you're choosing to cut against the grain of that. And, and, and let me just say this too. Um, long 
pronounced patterns of sin, sometimes secret sin in our heart, can, can deeply hinder the work of the Spirit and grieve the work of the Spirit in our hearts. So if on the one hand you're praying for uh, self-control, you're praying that God would give you a love for your spouse, but you're texting a female coworker kind of on and off throughout the day, not telling anybody about it, that grieves the Spirit. And there's going to be a lack of power when you ask God for your help in planning a date night. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Fourth, lean into the Word. Ephesians 5.17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's interesting that it's referred to as the sword of the Spirit because the Word and the Spirit, I think sometimes, especially in charismatic circles, can be pitted against one another. Where it's like, we're either going to be people of the Word or we're going to be people of the Spirit. Or sometimes uh, cessationists will be like, no, we're not people of the Spirit. We're people of the Word only. Um, and, and see, I think to Paul, he would have just been puzzled by that. He would have said, well, isn't the Word the sword of the Spirit? So if you're passionate about the Spirit, wouldn't you want to get into the sword of the Spirit? Because Scripture says that the, that the Word is inspired and breathed out by the Spirit of God. So if you want more of the Spirit, you want to be super charismatic, you want to, you want to start something, to be, you want to be uh, full of the life of the Spirit, get into the Bible. You know why? Because He wrote it. So if, if you say, look, I'm not about the Bible, I'm about the Spirit, then the Spirit is going, I wrote a book for you, um, you may want to reference that. And the, the reverse is true. So we're to lean into the word. And by so doing, lean into the power of the spirit. And last and briefly, how can I tell if I'm obeying the command to be filled with the spirit? So, so say you're doing these things and you want to know, okay, am I actually being filled continually with the spirit? Well, Paul gives us some information. And verses 19 to 21 are not sub, this is real important. I know this is kind of a grammar thing, but stick with me. These aren't sub-commands, like be filled and then do this and then do this. The command is to be filled with the Spirit, and these are descriptions of what it is to be filled with the Spirit, if we are. The first one is this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So speaking and singing to build one another up. So if you're full of the Spirit, if God's fullness is dwelling in your life, you're, you're, you, you love to sing to one another. Now, I know that's kind of weird for Americans, right? I mean, I, I don't normally, when I get together with Lenny, be like, uh, Lenny, how you doing? And him respond like, the Lord is just so gracious to me. Let's sing together of the goodness of the Lord. Like, that would be kind of weird. I, I'm not going to lie. We're sitting in La Malinche. He starts singing. Okay, I don't, I don't think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. I think he's talking about in the gathering, when people get together, when we're together, there's a sense in which we're singing to God, but we're also singing to one another, right? And, and, and it's our speech being used in a way to build one another up. And so we're singing together. We're emailing truths and songs and verses to one another. We're posting them back and forth on Facebook. We're texting them. We're talking to one another. We're being built together by the Spirit. And the closer we get together, the more of the Spirit we, we receive. Because as we become that holy dwelling, as we achieve greater unity, the Holy Spirit loves and delights and fills this place. Second, that's one way to tell if you're being filled with the Spirit. Second is singing to God. So when we're full of life, 
uh, when full of the life of God, it overflows our heart. And Neil, when he's led before, he's read this great quote a couple times about how human beings sing about the things that they treasure, the things that, that excite their affections. We, we get vocal as Americans, about things that excite us. So we get vocal about sports teams, right? About bands we love, about um, really on a, on a military level, victory on a battlefield. If you've ever been around a group of guys that have rallied and stood or, or taken a position and you, there, is a, there is something that comes out. I don't know if they sing or yell or chant or what, but something comes out of their hearts. There's a wedding where people are excited, and songs and speech comes out. It's natural. What is going on in our heart overflows to our, uh, to, to, into song. And so he says, look, this is just super blunt. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to sing. And you say, well, I don't, I don't like singing. I'm not really a singer. I don't, I don't, I'm not into the church singing thing. I don't like the songs. The song's slow. It's a wrong key for me. Um, here's the thing. The Bible says if you're filled with spirit, you're going to sing and make melody to the Lord, at least in your heart. <laughs> so sing. Sing as, uh, sing as much as you can. Third, give thanks. Always for everything. Even for an illness, even after a tough day at work, even when the kids are acting up. Yes, because when you are filled with the spirit, when you're in communion with God, it transforms your perspective of the things around you. And you're grateful. Gratefulness marks your life in the spirit. And last, submitting to one another. And we're going to get into this in the, uh, the next few sections of Ephesians. But God orders our lives, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, even our government. And when we're filled with the spirit, we respond joyfully by submitting to one another. We, we respond by saying, here, let me serve you. Let me lay my life down for you. Husbands and wives look together at the pile of dishes and go, you know what, babe, let me serve you. Bosses and employees, the boss says, I'm not gonna ask you to work overtime. And the employee says, I know we need it, I'll put it in. This is what's to be created as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so here's my question. Are you enjoying the blood-bought benefits of being in Christ this morning? Do you see the the wonderful life of being spirit-filled, this life of being like Christ, full of the Spirit continually, and is that attractive to you? Do you see that there maybe, maybe are so many more benefits to being in Christ than you thought? You're used to thinking, hey, we're justified. Hey, we're, we're not going to hell. Praise God. But there's more on your benefits card, Christian. There's a life of the Spirit that Christ has opened the way to. Here's how I want us to end. Here's how I want us to end. Thank God in Christ for his sacrifice for you so that you could be brought near and so that you could receive the Spirit and make it your prayer. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Give me more of yourself because you died so that I may pray this prayer. So make that prayer this morning. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Who am I? It's a question for the ages, and sadly, existentialism has crept into the body of Christ. So where can we find the answer to these sorts of questions? 
Thankfully, our identity in Christ is clear in the scriptures. Pastor Ricky will explore this topic as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Elcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to a computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number here at the church is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship this coming Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study and fellowship and even prayer. For more information, including driving directions, log on to betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The music that you hear each day on Better News Radio was provided by Sovereign Grace Music. We invite you to visit their website, sovereigngracemusic.org. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series entitled, Who Am I? from the book of Ephesians. That's next time on Better News Radio. 